0: Imagine if you had complete confidence that things would work out no matter what. You had confidence at work, at school, in relationships, in everything that you do. How would that change the way you live your life? And how would things change if you had complete confidence in God? Big faith is possible, and it starts with little steps. That's today on the podcast. Hey, it's Marisa from the Tower Hill production team. Thank you so much for tuning in to our Tower Hill podcast. Whenever or wherever you're listening, we hope this helps you continue on your faith journey. This month, we're looking at the five things that God uses to grow your faith. And today, Pastor Jason is talking about private discipline and how small steps every day can lead to big growth in your faith life. So let's listen in right now. Hey, Tower Hill Online, it is a blessing to be with you today. I'm Pastor Jason, and maybe I need to reintroduce myself. It's been a couple of weeks since I've been away on vacation, but it's a blessing to be here continuing this sermon series where we've been digging into what are the ways that God grows our faith. This is a series that was originally done by North Point Community Church, but we found it to be a really helpful framework for understanding the process of spiritual formation. It's called the five things that grow your faith. Certainly there are more things that grow your faith, but these are five things that over and over again keep coming up when people are talking about how they reached another level of faith. And it's important for us to know that so that maybe we can put ourselves in position to grow. You know, confidence is everything, especially in youth baseball. Man, I feel like this summer has been all baseball all the time. We just got back from Cooperstown and you know this is the big year that my son at 12 years old was able to do that tournament and man, baseball is so much between the ears, not just in the actual playing of the game. I mean, it's amazing how much of it is mental. I know that for a lot of youth hitters, and my son went through this as well, is if you don't have confidence, it's really, really hard to succeed because you kind of get in your own head. And then you start overthinking, well, should I swing or not swing? Or or is my elbow up? Or you start thinking about technique in the middle of the at-bat and it's not always the best outcome. I feel like there's something true uh, when it comes to our faith as well. Confidence is everything. Like when you're confident you're going to succeed, it changes your experience of the game. If you're confident, that God's going to come through, that God's going to be there no matter what, that God's going to be on the other side of whatever it is that you're hoping for. It's going to change how you live your life. It's going to change how you play the game. What would your life be like if you had complete confidence in God? I want you to think about that for a moment. Just allow yourself to imagine. What would your life be like? What would it feel like if you had complete confidence? If you knew in every area of your life, in every step that you were trying to take, that you just knew God was going to deliver. It would change how you live, right? It would change everything. And that's why we're talking about this in our sermon series. I was thinking about, some of you have heard me tell this story before, but I feel like it's a perfect illustration for this idea, is when I was working at summer camp all those years ago when I was in college, and I remember one night I'm out in the tent, one of those platform tents just like this one, I, and i 'm out there by myself because for whatever reason i didn't have campers that week I was the the program director, and i didn 't always have campers and i 'm out there and I hear in the middle of the night, I hear this crunching sound in the forest, and i who knows it could have been a raccoon i don't know, but this thing sounded really big and Actually, I look out, there's a little place to look out in my tent, and I see that it is a bear, and it is going through some trash that some campers had left out. Now, I'm starting to be slightly alarmed, right? And listen, I grew up in Southern California, in like L.A., You're like, we don't have to worry about that stuff. And, and I'm thinking to myself, what am I going to do? Well, I could try to, like, jump out of the tent and surprise the bear, maybe scare it away, because I heard that black bears, you see, they're more afraid of you than you are of them. Yeah, right. But then I'm like, yeah, right, I'm going to get the one black bear that wants to attack the second I jump out and try to scare the bear away. And so I'm I, going through this whole process. I'm like, what am I going to do? I can't make noise. The bear's going to know that I'm here. Cause it didn't occur to me. The bear probably already knew that based on smell, but whatever. I, listen, I was young. I was freaking out a little bit. And I, so I'm thinking, well, do I make a run for it? Is it going to chase me? Do I shine a flashlight on it? I mean, I didn't know what to do. Truly didn't know what to do. And I was, the longer I heard it munching out there, the more I was envisioning a terrible end to my life. But I, so I grabbed my pocket knife and I start thinking, I better get my shoes on in case I have to make a run for it. So I very, I try not to make any noise in the bunk. Slowly put my shoes on. I got my pocket. I don't know why I thought I was gonna do it with the pocket knife, but I had it out. I was like ready. And eventually I remember this feeling came over me <laughs> and it almost made me laugh. And it was this feeling of as if I were perceiving the Lord's voice. And he said, I didn't bring you this far in your life to die at the hands of a black bear outside your tent at camp. That's not, relax, you're going to be okay. You know what happened next? This is how I know it was God and wasn't me because I was pretty ramped up. I fell asleep. I fell asleep. I woke up in the morning and I still had the pocket knife in my hand. And the point is this, the Lord didn't take you this far just to get rid of everything. At some point, you have to have confidence that whatever bear is lurking outside your tent isn't going to get you. The Lord's got you. The Lord's profoundly got you. doesn't mean you never have any problems or even experience tragedy in your life, but know this, spiritually speaking, you got to have complete confidence that God's going to see you through, even in the scariest times. And it puts you at peace. Peace enough for a scared kid to fall asleep and not even worry about it. And this leads us to this next point, this next teaching point, which is the third of our five ways that God grows our faith. So first two that we looked at in the first week, it was practical teaching. The second week, pivotal circumstances. And now this week, private disciplines. These three things, and the other two that we'll talk about in the next couple of weeks, these three things help you grow in your faith, so much so that you can have complete confidence that the bear is not going to get you, that God is going to see you through. So I know I mentioned the D word, discipline. That is not the word that anybody wants to hear, I know. But the truth about discipline, if you think about running or you know health, dieting, whatever it is, or just even like getting better at something, discipline results in progress. There's really no arguing that. When you have a discipline about a thing, you're going to see progress in that area. Just how it works. If I don't know anything about, you know, running a Zoom meeting, I need to have enough discipline to view the training videos and to practice so that I'm ready to go. And it may not take much, but it takes a discipline for me to sit down and actually focus on it and learn it. It's a sacrificing of other things that I maybe want to do in that moment for the sake of that thing that I want to put my focus in so that I progress, so that I get better. And here's the thing about discipline. If you lack discipline in a certain area of your life, you pay the price. Kind of like when a few weeks ago, uh, some buddies from the church and I were celebrating some birthdays and we went out to a Brazilian steakhouse. You ever been to one of these? This is like—I swear—this is heaven. This is like heaven with no regret. <laughs> right? if, you, if you take the regret and sort of like the pain that comes from consuming way too much meat, it's—it's um, it's awesome, right? You sit there and they keep bringing you more and and uh, oh, you know, would you like the top sirloin? Yes, I would. Would you like the fillet? Yes, I would. But like, here's the thing, though—if you ate like doing that once in a while to celebrate is one thing—if you ate like that every day, you would pay the price in many. <laughs> ways regarding your health and your energy and everything. And that's sort of like life, anything in life, right? If you lack discipline, discipline, you pay the price. Well, why don't we realize all the time that that's also true spiritually? If you lack discipline to grow, to connect with God, to make an effort intentionally to check in with the Holy Spirit and to hear what God wants for your life and to move forward. If you lack discipline to do that, you pay the price. Oftentimes that price is you feel far away from God or maybe you make decisions that aren't Holy Spirit informed decisions and you make the wrong ones and it leads you to a bad place. It leads you to a big critical mistake. It leads you to a negative turning point in your life. If you lack spiritual discipline, you pay the price. I think sometimes we think like, oh man, God wants so much of me and you know, God wants to ruin my good time. And I want to do these, I want to do the things I want to do. How come I just can't do that and grow closer to God? Well, that's not true in anything in your life, right? It's like me saying, you know, I'd rather eat chocolate cake than kale. So I'm just going to do that and get healthier. <laughs> you know, that's just not how it works. The reality is if you lack discipline in your ability to connect with God, You pay the price spiritually. You don't have enough confidence to believe that the bear is not going to get you. You don't have enough confidence to believe that God's going to be there no matter what. Those things are directly related. Usually the people that I meet that have more spiritual discipline tend to be people who have a way bigger faith. And it's not because there's any sort of mystery to it. It's just something that they're intentional about to progress forward here's uh, in the book of Hebrews what it says about this. If there's ever a verse that you can relate to, it might be this one (laughs) right here. Ready? This is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Can I get an amen? Louder in the back, right? (laughs) But painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. That's how discipline works, right? There's a kind of freedom that comes from discipline. There are results from discipline that can be wonderful, especially spiritually. But no discipline seems pleasant at the time because it's a sacrifice. It's maybe not the number one thing we want to do, but it's going to give us a harvest of righteousness and peace. Therefore, it says, verse 12, this might be my favorite, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Yeah, that's it, man. I need that kick in the pants verse, right? Like, let's go, weakling. Get in there. Get disciplined. Get closer in your relationship with God. Have those private disciplines so that your confidence in God will grow. And in the end, you're going to see a harvest of peace in your life, of righteousness in your life. If you want to know more about these private disciplines, and I'm going to share one that I shared during our Louder series, it'd be great for you to review the Louder series. So the Louder series I did during this last Lent, you could find it online. You might want to go back because I go through seven different spiritual disciplines, private disciplines that you can do that can help you grow closer in your relationship with God, to build your confidence in God. Uh, we called it Hearing God's Voice Through Life's Noise. I want to encourage you to go back and maybe take a listen as you start thinking about what are some private disciplines that can help me grow in my faith. We talked about it being a discipline strategy, ancient spiritual practices that the you know people of God have done for centuries. And, and probably the biggest and kind of lowest hanging fruit for you to maybe start is the idea of prayer. I know you know what prayer is. But have you really made it a discipline in your life? Is it something that you do as you progress in your relationship with God? Prayer, I think, is the easiest because you don't need Bible study material per se. And you don't need somebody else to tell you what to do. You can just communicate with God. You don't need an expert to walk you through prayer. Prayer is something that everybody, regardless of age and stage and physical ability, can do. And Jesus teaches us about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. And interestingly, in that sermon, he first had to challenge the popular view of prayer at the time in order to unpack it. And I think we find there are some parallels and similarities to how people think now. Here's Jesus talking about prayer. He says, and when you pray, first of all, like he says, and when you pray, not if you might one day pray. No, he's expecting you will. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Uh, There's a little bit of a language thing happening here, so I think it makes sense in a plain reading, hypocrites, but that word for hypocrites also can mean, has a designation of being like an actor. So it may be a reference to actors on the street corners looking to uh, be seen by others. What do actors do? They Pretend, they play make-believe. And what I read into that is Jesus saying, "When you pray, don't play make-believe with this. don't just do this pretend so that you could be seen by others as being really religious. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. If you're looking for the praise of other human beings, that will be your reward. That's exactly what you'll get. but that's not what God has in mind. And it's not gonna take you to a place of greater confidence in God. In other words, prayer isn't for showing how religious you are. Isn't that a thing? Because then you know what happens? Like, we start doing that thing where we don't feel comfortable praying in front of people. I know that takes time to overcome, but every Christian on the planet should feel comfortable praying. That's like that's our that's our way of communicating with God. But prayer isn't for showing how religious you are. Like, if you hear somebody else praying, you're like, oh my gosh, I don't that was a fancy theological word. Like, I don't know. It's not about that. It's not about that at all. In fact, here's what Jesus says as he follows up in verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. In other words, who are you trying to impress? You're impressing God. Like God already knows what you need before you ask. It's not about that. It's about praying in such a way that it's coming from your heart. And honestly, if you want to just boil down every sermon I've ever given, this is what Jesus cares about. He cares about your heart. He doesn't care about your religiosity, about how many memory verses you know, about how many different prayers you've memorized, about uh how many, you know, what's your attendance record at churches. That's not it. That those are the things that like the Pharisees cared about. Jesus cares about the heart. He wants your intentions to be right. He wants your heart to be right with him. He he wants your heart. He doesn't just want your religious you know, habits. So then we get this very famous part that I'm sure you're very familiar with when he gives us the model of prayer that he wants us to use. So, so you know, if you're wondering what this looks like, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, before we jump to the next part, because that's what we do with the Lord's Prayer, um, when you have something by memory, it's very easy for that to become sort of rote, and you just say it without even thinking about the words. So, Let's go a little slower and think about the words. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What is that saying? Father, that's a personal term. We have a personal God of the universe, the creator of all things, hallowed be your name. Um, You might remember several weeks ago when we were doing the I Am series and I talked about the power of the name of Yahweh, power of the name of God. He's recognizing Father, who I can talk to as a father, your name is above all names. There is power in your name. Holy, sacred is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, whatever else I might want, I put that after what you want. Your kingdom comes first. Your will comes first. And man, isn't that an important principle for us as we think about praying? Because when we pray, oftentimes we treat God like cosmic Santa Claus. We have our list of the things that we want him to deliver. And maybe we think about what God's will is. Or we just pray that God, please let my will be your will. <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's not bad, but I think it's also assuming that, or, or it's, it's its kind of, and maybe it's accidental, but it makes us feel like our will is the most important and we really hope, God, you bend to whatever our will is. But I think what Jesus is saying in this order of prayer is saying that whatever else I might want, I, I want what you want first. You know what it is too? I think it's also when we pray that way, it's also... Even if I don't want what God wants first, I want to want what God wants first. In other words, the the prayer itself is a reminder of where my priorities should be. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this daily bread. Today, our daily bread, which of course isn't just literal bread, it's sustenance. Give me what I need today. And I often think of that not just physically and physical needs, although I think that's really what that part's speaking to, but also what are my spiritual needs? Give me my sustenance. Be my food, my nourishment in my soul this day. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is a very dangerous one if you really think about it. When you pause and think about this, what you're saying is, Lord, forgive me to the measure by which I forgive somebody else. That's a dangerous prayer, and I don't know if I really mean it when I say it. I don't know if I want to be measured against that. But I think the important thing that this points out is kind of like Jesus saying, what's the greatest commandment? It's to love God and love one another. It's both together. you got to do both together. So forgive me, God, for what I owe you. It could be my sin. It could be my time. It could be all sorts of things, and I want to make sure that I am forgiving what others owe me. And you could really camp out on this idea in prayer in a lot of different ways and really find this to be a rich, fertile prayer ground here because there are so many things that you can address. And then it ends, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And of course, that that's pretty straightforward what that's saying. You know, Lord, I... I know that you'll provide a way out if I'm tempted, but please uh, keep me away from it, right? Deliver me from evil. So prayer, it's not just for showing how religious you are. Prayer starts with God and his kingdom first. I think that's really important to acknowledge, right? And then also, if you notice, there's a disciplined order to it. It's God first, me second. It's actually God first, kind of others, and then me now, as I said in the series when I talked about this in Lent, the Louder series, I talked about how Jesus is teaching us on the Lord's Prayer is not just the prayer itself, which I think is, is obviously fine if that's, in other words, I don't think there's anything wrong to pray the Lord's Prayer. Okay, so don't, don't hear that that's what I'm saying. But I also think it's meant to be something beyond just a memorization prayer. I think it's a model for prayer. This is a prayer of orientation, not just memorization. The first three petitions of the prayer are about giving God glory, and the second four petitions are about asking for God's help. And I think that's a nice model or framework for structuring our own prayer time with God. Why do I say it's a model of prayer, not just a memorization prayer? Because I see Jesus model this prayer during one of the most difficult times, perhaps the most difficult time of his entire life, and that's. In the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, right before he's arrested, when he's when you know, Scripture says he's sweating blood. He is so grieved and moved by what's going to happen, and that's when he says, "You know, Father, take this cup from me. Not my will, but Your will be done." I think we see in this moment, though, we see kind of a mirror of the structure of the Lord's Prayer. There's a point to this. I'll get to after. So uh, he tells his disciples, "Sit here while I go over there and pray." Right? So what does he do? He prays in secret. He prays directly to the Father in a way that's not for show. He says, my Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. What's he saying? Our Father, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Right? Whatever it is that I want, I I care about your will more. He tells his disciples to watch and pray to stay awake and avoid temptation, right? Lead us not into temptation. And the whole point of the prayer is to be delivered from the temptations of evil, be delivered from evil, which of course is the end of the Lord's prayer. So I see in this, I see Jesus actually modeling this as a way to structure his own personal prayers in a time of crisis. I think the bottom line is this, we really need to go beyond just praying when we feel like it to cultivating a discipline of prayer. I think that's really the only way to have good communication with God, to be listening, to be open, to make sure that my priorities are right each and every day. Here's what prayer does. Prayer builds a bridge of confidence that God is present and responsive. It grows your faith, right? It's a bridge of confidence that God is present and responsive. The more I pray, the more I see God Acting upon those prayers, the more I notice what God is doing in my life, it builds this bridge of greater confidence. It grows my faith. I think you'll find that that happens too, the more that you pray and make it a discipline. So, where do we land all of this and why does it matter? Well, I think when we go through times of crisis and when we think about this, maybe using the Lord's prayer as a way of thinking about prayer itself and how we should structure it is something we can use as a tool. Uh, in our everyday life. So private disciplines, there's a lot you could choose from. And again, if you go back to that Lenten series, you're gonna see a whole bunch that you could kind of dig into. But where would be a place to start? And you may not remember that series at all. You know, I barely do. <laughs> it's been a lot of months since then. But where do you start with all of this? Here's what I would recommend. And maybe this is something for you to consider as you go through this next week. The first is I would encourage you to start a devotional. I find that having a regular practice of prayer goes hand in hand with a study of some kind, something that leads me into thinking about God in a new way. Because what happens is I can get very stagnant very quickly in the way that I pray with God. You know, we sort we all like routines, but sometimes routines become rote and they sort of lose their punch in our lives. So I think it's nice if you can couple a devotional with some prayer time as a regular disciplined practice every week. So. Prayer invites God in, but Bible study invites us in, right? There's sort of this double thing that's happening when we do that. What kind of devotional should it be? There's so many to choose from. I, again, I love the YouVersion Bible app because I feel like it's got a lot of great digital um, resources and digital devotionals, but you may want to go analog, so to speak. You may want to pull out your old Jesus Calling book or another devotional, His Upmost for His Highest, classic Oswald Chambers book. I mean whatever works for you, whatever just kind of gets you started. If you could do anything for like five days during the work week, you can make it a really wonderful discipline that's going to grow your confidence in God. The second would be, okay, well then how should I pray? What? what Well, I said, well, practice using this framework of the Lord's Prayer. Call it your Lord's Prayer, where you sort of take each part and maybe you want to Journal it out and write it down, each part, and just think about what that means to you in that moment. Holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. You know, my will wants this, Lord, but I want your will to be done. Be in my nourishment today. I don't know how I'm going to get through this situation. Feed my soul as I get through it, so on and so forth. Make it your Lord's Prayer, not just the Lord's Prayer. I think that's actually what Jesus intended anyway. And then third, if you know, maybe there are some days where you don't have time to go through all of that. Maybe you just wanna say with your, I call it the morning Joe, with your cup of coffee or whatever you do to sort of get going in the morning, say, hey Lord, help me be awake to you today. Help me be awake to your presence. That's every bit an intentional prayer as the other one. But maybe it's just a place to start. If you can just focus on these three things, I think what's gonna happen is, you're gonna see progress, discipline results in progress. And honestly, it's the best way that I know to continue building that confidence in God. And remember the whole point of this? is So you would live with peace. You'd have a harvest of righteousness. You would grow in your confidence in God, grow in your faith. I mean, what would your life be like if you had complete confidence in God? Well, hopefully and prayerfully, you will. Amen.